0: Welcome to Human First, my name is David Tilston and this podcast explores the methods, habits and processes which allow us to excel as human beings. In today's episode, I welcome Tom Foxley. Tom is a performance coach to adventurepreneurs, former Royal Marines Commando, freedom seeker, skier, mountaineer, and climber who lives for adventure. If you are looking for that bit extra in business, fitness or life in general, this episode is for you. Let's get into it. joining me on the podcast
1: oh my absolute pleasure it's to do it
0: awesome man uh, let's start with an insight into your early years and what led you to become so passionate about mindset and performance
1: yeah so it's on one hand a very long story so i'm not going to bore you with <laughs> um, but the the transition and the, the kind of the focus to what makes us do what we do and why are we the type of people we are i think that came from The fact that when I was super young, very anxious, um, I'd say if I was going back to school now, it'd be like, you have a mental health condition, whatever it is. Um, Obviously, that's not diagnosed in the 90s, and it's a very different kind of approach, Um, but very anxious, very stressed out, got bullied a ton. um, And uh, somewhere along the way, I developed a heart condition, and that was referred to initially by doctors as, as probably sudden death syndrome which is like that not very positive diagnosis. Um, So I was a pre-athletic kid and I found my only sort of like kind of fitting in as how good I was at fizz. How how good were you at training? Like how good were you at um, football and cricket and every other kind of quintessential English sport? So I was not allowed to train. It was like, you, have, you may have sudden death syndrome, so it's probably wise that you don't suddenly die and we will do everything to kind of stop you doing that. So you're not allowed to do any sport, you're not allowed to do any training, you're not allowed to get your heart rate up, um, which for me was a big deal um, at that point. So through a whole ton of testing, going to do actually the, the coolest tests I've I've done with like running on treadmills with electrodes stuck all over me and live scans of my heart beating and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, was, it was like, it was pulled apart. I didn't have d- air sudden death syndrome, but they had no idea what it was. And it turns out this is anxiety induced. Um, that's my knowledge now. When I push to extreme limits and if I get very stressed out or have way too much caffeine, I so basically anything that's like sympathetically arousing, I can go into that state and my heart rate literally goes up to 235, 240 beats a minute, and I get like super faint and that stops me from doing what I want to do. Um, so that was a really interesting insight into how much the mind and the body are in this two-way conversation where one influences the other and one isn't necessarily in control of the other, but they're both part of the same unit, the same system. Um so that led me down eventually the route of i want to go through some sort of transformation um it was the royal marines for me that's the route i wanted to go through for various reasons and at the same time was personal training because i was a reservist and then that led me to kind of okay what what do these people need and through coaching crossfit which was my eventual path in that i realized that the conversations that I was having with athletes were way more important than here's your sets and reps. It's like, what's going on? Like what's going on in the rest of your life? Why are you making these decisions? What do you actually want to achieve with your life? Why is that important to you? Um, What's going on? Like why are you getting in your own way? Those kind of conversations, just exploring what's actually um, happening there. And then eventually that led me down the kind of like working with athletes to working with of high performers in
0: general in in the business world it's uh, it's always interesting speaking to people when they go back in their life and start talking about the initial years and how that influenced things going forwards and i've seen with a lot of people there has been maybe an aspect of uh, bullying or something like that in the past especially with a lot of high achievers that has happened as well it's something i look back now and there's probably a couple of years i went through where that was probably present in my life to some degree um and it did drive me into fitness as well. And funny enough, then that drove me into the Marines. So there's a very similar process there. And it'd be interesting to see how many lads in the services right now have been through similar processes.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably common amongst people in general, but there is something mm-hmm. about wanting to go on your own journey once you've had some kind of like hardship to endure. It's like you want to go, okay, I need to prove to myself and to other people that... I'm maybe not a victim or that I'm, I have some agency over my life.
0: There was a story by Alex Ormosi the other day, and it said, if you wanted to make someone resilient, you wouldn't give them an easy time. You'd be giving them things that challenge them, giving them things that, uh, gave them a form of adversity. So they had to learn the tools to develop from it. And I think a lot of, a lot of people sometimes maybe push to a certain level and don't understand they're very close to achieving something of a high standard if they just pushed that a little bit further, um, it's something I've realized recently with uh, breaking my foot in, in multiple places is that adversity has generated this journey, which I never would have had before. So there's a lot of beautiful processes that come from adversity at some point.
1: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? There's this stoic concept of preferred indifferences and the idea being that obviously you preferred not to smash your <laughs> foot to pieces. Obviously, i preferred not to like have a heart condition that stops me from doing that. but what that does is it adds meaning and there's this i think it's an old um i think it's a traditionally jewish phase which is like what does an um, omnipotent like basically it was all seeing all hearing all knowing God's lack and it's limitation and that's what makes you have a meaningful life is the limitation to push against and to um kind of give you something to, to channel. Because if you had everything, you'd just sit around and do nothing. Um, I think it's a Dostoevsky or Tolstoy quote as well, where he, he basically says, if all humans had to do was sit around and eat cake and fornicate, they'd destroy it within minutes. Because you need something to push against. You need something yeah. to, like, to, to channel yourself against.
0: I think that's always why in the military you, you, you get a lot of duties as well, especially on ship. You think you've just cleaned a certain section and it's probably more than hygienic enough to sort of use that area and you go back and clean it again and again and again. And I think it was almost the concept of do not let them get bored because if they get bored, bad things might happen. Mm,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think you saw that in Vietnam and also the standards thing mm. when, like, that class thing of when blokes stop shaving, that's when. You could track back in Vietnam, like when they stop shaving, it eventually leads to them taking smack in the field, and then <laughs> everything that came from there. Like there's there's a direct translation of step by, step by step by step by step by step. You can like be led down that path. So it's like obviously an extreme example, um, yeah. but it's um, it's standards.
0: Yeah, it, it, what was the uh, was it a Navy Seal speech like Navy Seal or serving Navy Seal with the uh, making your bed. Uh, that, that sort yeah. of speech about getting up yeah. and doing routine every day. And it's, it's something that I think is very important, especially when you're going through low times, is to have some form of some form of system you can fall back on. For me, it's been highly, highly important during this last four-week, five-week phase. Get up, do some breath work, sit, have some introspection, and then move into the rest of the day to have that kickstart, that initial go. And I find if you don't have that, or from a personal perspective, I I don't have that things just don't go as well as they could have done in that day.
1: Yeah. What's, who do you see yourself as? What's the identity because we're living out a story Mm. and like, that's the way we narrativize our life is through the lens of a story. Like humans exchange stories. We learn through stories. It's like, I'm this type of person who does this type of thing. And if you're the type of person who gets up and makes your bed every single morning, I'm actually not. My wife does it because I'm living the dream. <laughs> um, but if you're the type of person who does that and you have high high standards in other areas of life and mm-hmm. you kind of consistently do those things, you look at yourself as I'm the type of person who does this thing. And therefore, I'm the type of person who does other things. And it's who you believe you are that determines um, maybe not your success because it's so um, dependent on outside factors. But... Ultimately, the way you view yourself is mm-hmm. whether I'm a piece of shit that doesn't do the things I want to do and I'm always failing and I'm always losing and I get down myself, or whether I'm the type of person who really handles myself well and engages in the challenges that I'm supposed to engage. And I've been both of those people, but genuinely, I've been both of those people, and I'm always on a continuum between them and forcing towards that better side of myself. And it's, really difficult battle i think we're all trying to do that to some degree but i know that when i'm more consistent in the habits that serve me i um i'm more likely to do the rest of the stuff there's like there's leading dominoes that i have to tip
0: Mm. did, did you find that time in the marines has influenced your perspective or mindset in in any way and does that affect the way you coach others today
1: yeah positive and negative Um, it's been like, you're there to learn how to carry a rifle to the enemy and squeeze a trigger like that. And that's a very different, um, skill set and perspective and mentality to living civilian life or running a business. It's like, there's definitely, like, I'll give you the perfect example. There's, it's like, there's a, um, inverted U of benefit with, ability the ability to quiz things out like one of the things you get very good at in i think all aspects of the military but especially the marines is you get very good at being uncomfortable for long extended periods of time but if you're in civilian street and you you kind of traverse that benefit for ages in this building and you're like okay this is a really useful skill set there's a tip-off point where you start to go okay i can't change this and I'm just going to grizz this out. And if I griz it out for long enough, then the exercise will be called cool to an end. And I'll be back in my warm bed. it the be equivalent of that. But actually what happens is you can change your life and you can change the things you do. And it's like you can change your environment. And I think that's something that is a negative side to something you learn in the military that's actually a very positive attribute. So you have to kind of hone the edges, I think. And that comes through building complementary skill sets, for example. Um, So there's like discipline and structure, but also freedom and fluidity. Like it's basically it's
0: it's yin and yang, it's Taoism. This episode is sponsored by Red Light Rising. As always, I'm only keen to promote brands that I've used and I believe in. Red Light Rising produce a number of products, but specialise in red and near infrared lights. And I've been using their half stack for at least four years now, first thing in the morning when doing my breath work. Benefits from this type of wavelength of light include skin health, sleep, energy, and much more. To find out more about the products, head to the Red Light Rising website and use the code HUMAN, H-U-M-A-N, at the checkout to save. Back to the podcast. So with that inverted U, when you train athletes, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's anything else, do you see similar concepts present in athletes that like to push themselves consistently? For example, do they... Do you find sometimes you spend more time balancing an athlete than you do promoting more performance, if that makes sense, physical performance, like giving them more parasympathetic as opposed to sympathetic stimulation?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. Um, if, I'm thinking, if I'm thinking back to the high performers, like the, the cream of the crop, the people who have been at the top of the sports that I've worked with then yeah, it's, it's giving them some sort of balance because they just want to go. And there's this sense of not being good enough and never being good enough that is just driving them and driving them and driving them now you don't want to lose that edge no. but you do want to build a complementary skill set of the wiser approach of not hitting that junk volume um because especially i found female athletes were just nailing that junk volume and just like doing reps and reps and reps and reps and reps, and reps. And what they really used to be doing was sleeping or playing with a dog or chilling out or whatever that is for them um so building in that connection was huge um connections on the things that people massively miss out on in my experience like connection to other people because they're on their own linear journey and it's the same when i work with business owners now it's like they're just going and going and going and going and going and there's a couple of people that i'm working with now where it's like they have found that more balanced approach from just a little bit of breath work, a little bit of sleep and going on a date night, things yeah. like that. It's a really soft approach to a very hard problem.
0: Yeah. And I, I see it as that human stuff as well. You could be the best performance athlete in the world on paper, but if you are not coming home and balancing that with rest recovery, with timeout, for me, it's time with my kids this time it's very valuable to spend more time with my children and I've realized how little time I was spending because I was doing 14, 16 hour workdays, which is not ideal. I find as well, work stifles creativity. And this is something I've definitely learned over the last three years is that the more I do, the less creative I get. Do you see that in regards to people you work with, especially Mm -hmm. on the business front?
1: Yeah, um, if you are creating widgets, and you've got the thing where you can just stamp out productivity, then like, it, you can just put the reps in, put the reps in, put the reps in. But when you've got to solve problems, like most of us have, that's a different kind of approach. Is the, the, I haven't read Deep Work in way too long by Cal Newport, but that idea of you go into a state where you do 90 minutes of hard, intentional work and then back your way out of it. I found personally that I have a very short, A period of time per day where i can maximally focus and be really effective Um, and when i'm working with people as well i haven't found anyone that's consistently able to maintain a hundred percent output so i think it's like the equivalent of what's your heart rate zone here of your output output like maybe we can find a zone two zone three where you can keep kind of sticking that kind of base or maybe we can approach it like an interval workout where we sprint and then take the equivalent rest, um, but having the structure, like, like the dog, like, he's great. <laughs> this is on his back, his balls to the world. Um, like it, it's great um, because he is—he's explicit, um, yeah. Like have, yeah, you should. You're going to have to blur that out because that's too much. Um, you're, you're like, uh, God, where was I going with that? Oh, having the dog is a structure. Like it's—it's yeah. it's something that means that every morning I get up, I walk the dog. I spend 45 minutes to an hour just like out with him or outdoors, not my phone. And that is a very like parasympathetic thing to do. And then in the Mm. evening, I have the same kind of wind down routine as well. And that's super beneficial.
0: Someone explained this to me a while ago, that if you think about a tribe, we would have had copious amounts of time sitting around. And obviously when we're in the field, on a military perspective, Mm. uh, for anyone that doesn't understand that term, basically on exercise or on operations, you spend a lot of time sitting around talking as a group. And there is no agenda to achieve anything and i think everything we've always got this perspective of achieve more do more and something that came up in one of your blogs i was reading was you mentioned dancing on the border between chaos and order and i loved that terminology as well uh, in achieving high performance so it's almost like i, I see that the unorganized chaos, the chats, the, the banter, the timeout could be a form of chaos almost as well. Uh, but how would you apply that to, to training in general? How would, how would you sort of dive a little bit deeper into that concept?
1: Yeah, if we're looking at, so chaos and order is something that I've basically extracted from listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson work and then figuring out where he's like got that from then delving deeper and deeper and deeper, um. The idea is that we are either in chaos or we're in order. And order is anything where you can predict the outcome. It's the known. It's like metaphorically, it's the walled city where or the walled medieval city where you're kind of like you're in a community that you trust, you know you're safe, there's like you're protected from the world outside. Chaos is you're outside of those walls and you're encountering dragons and threats, but also you've got a lot of opportunity in there and you've got the ability to gather new resources and learn new skills and you're potentializing in chaos, but I spend the whole time out there and you get eaten by wolves. Like our job is to spend as much time going into chaos and then coming back into order and going through that kind of repetition, repetitious process. Because if you just stay in, in the known so if you just stay in your ward city you become you stagnate you get you pick up kind of um, illnesses it's you're compressed as an individual Mm. you're restricted you just do the same things over and over again so what that would look like in training is you've been hitting the same program for ages you've been exploring the same kind of coach for ages you've been not changing anything up you need to risk things or it's um with um if you're learning a gymnastic skill for example it's not taking that risk of pushing just a little bit into the unknown and then it's coming back so your your ideal situation is you've got one foot in the known one foot in the unknown and that's where you come alive like that is when you're most engaged because there's a bit of real threat there you need that
0: risk to, to come alive mm. yeah if you are I found with bodyweight skills, especially the refined patterns that require a lot of balance, some people don't progress because they don't get messy in it. They don't find that form of chaos yeah. where they, they push. Maybe their balance is the size of a tennis ball. So if they move around on that the area of a tennis ball, that's where the balance is great, but they never explore outside of it. So the muscle tissue, nervous system, connective tissue, never explores these areas. So when you fall, you've got this very fine margin of balance to fall. Whereas some people are all about the chaos. They have no form. They have no shape so there there isn't this form of chaos and balance. So it's trying to bring both of these in at different times. And I find as a coach, it's understanding when there is a form of play, be a bit more chaotic, do your thing, explore. And there is a time for right this month is all about order. I want you to focus, really dial it in, bring the alignment up to scratch. And then we start to explore more technical skills and get a bit messy again.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love it so much. Like, There's so many people that are entirely stagnated that I've traditionally worked with in the CrossFit space who aren't willing to perform messy reps, who are so focused on... And this is really common if they've come from a gymnastics background or a dance background. They don't want to be perceived as untidy or they know there's something going in the back of their brain that goes, if I perform a messy rep, then I'm going to get chastised by the coach or I'm not good enough because it's untidy. Whereas in fact, that's where you learn through the messy reps. Like you only learn if you're running a business and you need to get better at having difficult conversations with people. You can only do that through being very bad at having difficult conversations to begin with. Mm. It's not a binary thing. You don't, don't go from zero to 100. You have a a five out of 100 conversation you're like that felt awful but why you explore you and then you go okay i'm just going to risk and just kind of push a little bit better and then you go like you're just leaning into that again and that's the like you could retreat and go back into the known and never have those conversations or you could lean forwards into the challenge and, and encounter more of the
0: unknown mm. yeah that is true but do you find when you're working with especially business people uh, very busy jobs, long work hours, some people working on different continents, especially on zoom calls where they're up at stupid o'clock. Do you find that those people need more structure or forms of chaos in their life? And if so, on what bandwidth, for example, would that be on like a training bandwidth? Or do you find maybe, uh, without answering the question for you, do you find some people need a bit of structure in their training, but a little bit more chaos in their work life, so you're looking at different bandwidths.
1: Yeah, it's it's quite often they've got to, it's almost like they've added so much structure that it's become completely restrictive. And they're like, and I th- I actually see this as more of a, look at these kind of situations through a different lens of like, what's the story that they're telling themselves mm. about their work hours, creating their inherent value. And there's this idea of like, it's almost like if I'm putting in the hours, then that is my value, then I'm good enough, then I'm qualified enough, or then I'm worthy of love to to boil it down to what it exactly is and if I'm not doing that then i'm I'm not good enough and for me it that that conversation is like why you like what's the driver? Do you really believe you're getting better results from slaving away for eighteen hours a day like is that really the best way to do this, or can we? Play around and kind of—it's usually adding structure and yeah, like you said, it's adding structure into the things that are outside of work, so that constraints force action, right? And if you have a positive constraint of, uh, for example, I've booked a um, ski mountaineering trip to probably Pakistan, maybe Kyrgyzstan in April, May time. That is forcing a lot of action because I'm going to be out of the business, now of the country for two and a half weeks probably um and i need to have everything flying by then so that is a positive constraint if i'm going to the gym at 6 p.m that is a positive constraint because i have to get my work day done by then if i'm walking the dog at x time like that is when i have to like so positive constraints force action and they're really useful tool to um to bring in the edges of work and not allow it to kind of go into this nebulous mess
0: yeah that seems to highlight the the term is it? Are you busy or are you productive? There's a there's a difference between the two things, isn't it? You can just be busy running around the room with a with no intent, but I think intent is that concept to achieve a certain thing within a certain time frame. Uh, when we look at marketing, I know you've been doing a lot of marketing recently and um, reading a lot of your content. Having that intent and time frame where you can say to someone, "I can give you this in this period of time," presents a very neat package where someone can actually quantify the result within that period of time. Because otherwise it's an open-ended thing. And I think there's a difference again between structure and chaos. If I have things in my life where I have open-ended skills that I'll probably nev- never fully master, I definitely never will fully master any of these skills I'm attaining or going for. But on the other side, I'm picking skills and patterns that I know that I can achieve to a good standard every day. So again, I feel like I've got small wins, but then long-term development from a journey
1: exactly right like i'm there's a business owner i'm working with right now and this the big thing has been she experiments a ton she's like pushing and doing new things and like she just wants to she's super high in openness and new experience the personality i mentioned so she just wants to do new things she gets bored repeating the same thing but for her it's been about can we tone that back so that 80 to 90 percent of the time you're doing the things that get the outcome and then 10 to 20% of the time, can we experiment and see if there's something new? And that seems to be the right kind of threshold. And it's it's kind of um, too obvious to say it's the 80-20 rule, but it, it's like, that's what we find coming back time, and time again, like 80% of the time, if you're doing the stuff that you know is gonna give you the results and 20% of the time you're experimenting, that seems like a really good ratio.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've noticed in a lot of your blogs, Tom, you've mentioned visualization, something that's cropped up on this podcast time and time again, but how, Can someone get better at this, in your opinion, especially if they find it challenging to visualize an outcome?
1: Yeah, it's a full sensor experience. When I'm actually, I I talk about visualization on outgoing conversations because everyone knows what it means, but they don't actually know what it means. The biggest mistake that people make is they try to, actually there's, there's two. Firstly, is they don't engage all the other sensors. So they just visualize it as opposed to what I call it is imagination. So you're going to imagine the, the knurling of the barbell in your hand. You're going to imagine the nerves. Like you're going to imagine the feeling. Like if we use um, clean jerking, big weight, like you're going to imagine the feeling of your lats setting. You're going to imagine the tension. And you're going to imagine the feeling of the weight in the barbell as you pull and shrug and then the the kind of over-exaggerated feeling of the like elbows snapping and being big strong triceps like that's really like the kind of the sensation that we're going for so it's it's not just visualizing it it's all your senses and the other big mistake that people make with this is they don't they imagine it being easy so they imagine a 100 whatever kilo barbell to feel like a 50 kilo barbell and then when they Get into then they like they engage the tension in the bar and they start that first pull. There's suddenly a disconnect between oh I thought I thought was going to feel easy and then that not being what's actually going to happen. It's far more beneficial for them to imagine that it is horrendously difficult,
0: mm.
1: but they so they achieve the challenge regardless. It's like I'm fighting against this, and everything in this is horrendous. But I still achieved it because that's way more likely. Like, like if you're if you're looking to max out your lift, and it's five kilos heavier than um, than you've ever lifted before, what's more likely? It's going to feel easy, or it's going to feel hard. Well, every PR attempt for me has felt incredibly difficult, and I'm gonna like. But what's different is I want to like overcome
0: that adversity. That's really interesting. I haven't thought of that. So the inability to visualize an outcome can be the inability to understand and process the details within it.
1: Yeah, and what that is gonna feel like and what you're really, I think, what I find people get the most benefit from is imagining the triumph and the process that takes them there rather than the outcome. Mm. And that applies over the macro or the micro. So whether that is within the lift Or whether that's what's this next year going to look like, because you're going to have to go on some sort of transformation, some sort of journey, whether it's contained within one rep of an Olympic lift or one bodyweight movement, or whether it's across a year's worth of training or personal development or relationship growth or meditation, or like you've got to prep yourself for the
0: hardship that comes along with it. So a recurring theme in your work is the importance of accepting hardship. Which obviously just discussed as well. Uh, how can embracing statements like "life sometimes feels shit" be empowering for someone?
1: Because it is, and it's reality. And the first Buddhist truth is life is suffering, and it is. Like I don't know about you, but my life has been punctuated by intense periods of suffering, long periods of suffering, um, and I've never met anyone who has not had a life of suffering. Like, and also the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. So that's a like, everyone's had that maximum suffering in their life. And it's very rare that you get those kind of um, blissful periods. And actually, I don't think we want the blissful periods. Like, I think if you look, like, my personal opinion is I don't want a life that is consistently, like, drinking mojitos on a beach. For me, that doesn't really appeal. It, it sounds nice for a day. Yeah, but I, I know I'd be bored by midday, and I'd want to go and like go rock climbing or snorkeling or something. I'd want an adventure, and that invent, adventure is as much hardship as you can tolerate, because that provides meaning. And I don't mean hardship just doing necessarily terrible stuff, because it's because you feel like you should be suffering. Mm-hmm. I mean hardship in a intentionally chosen way that is um, self actualizing. So that if I want to create a business that looks a certain way, or I want to be a certain kind of athlete, or I want to summit mountains, I know that there's a path along that that's going to be incredibly difficult to walk, and it's through that adversity that we find meaning. And meaning seems to be that antidote to the suffering. It's like it's not like you get rid of it, but it ameliorates it, so it lessens its effect.
0: Mm, i suppose that comes back to that comment i saw you write strong mind in a strong body um that definitely Mm. holds true especially in the military doesn't it i think as well we've got this perception of the military i think a lot of people look at this as if there is no transfer but like you said i think sometimes there is a positive and negative to this thing where some people are dragging in the beasting aspect but forgetting that there was a very strong culture of meaning um, they tried the whole belonging thing for a advertisement, but I don't think it worked too well. Um, people still want to shoot things, so that's <laughs> that's always a big driver for getting people in. But yeah, strong mind, and strong body. I think if you haven't, if you've got a strong body without the inability to to go to those places, you're always going to give up way before you can. And it's always something that I try to think about. I've just gone through um, redirecting my energy into learning static apnea, so trying to work up to doing three minutes, then four minutes, and so on. And there's a point where you get to a certain, maybe it's three minutes and you start to feel the CO2 building your system. And the, uh, the body can, it's almost like the body wants to give up, but the mind is just holding on, just saying, you still you're fine, you've still got this. And I've actually found if I look at the clock and it says a certain time, my body or my mind definitely says, ah, I thought you were better or maybe I thought you were worse than this. So instantly I log into the time that I've been shown as opposed to how I feel. And it's trying to overcome that, like mm-hmm. more about feeling and less about metrics.
1: Yeah, I love that. Cause like you, the thing about our experiences is a hundred percent subjective. Yeah. And we can have data as much as we want, but our life, our actual human experience is a human experience. And like that is created by so many different factors. And some days you do have a hundred percent and some days you have 20%. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's about making that relative to that. I'm fascinated by your breath hold journey like dive into that all day like what have you found is the like what's the what's the approach that works for you like how what's the mental state that's conducive to like longer holds
0: um so there's a there was a someone called florian Daggery on my podcast so he's got a 10 and a half minute breath hold and i decided to do his course and funny enough when the foot happened the crash happened i decided to redirect my energy as quickly as possible so i felt like i was channeling it into something another form of exploration and i'd worked up to sort of i don't know the the two minute 45 maybe three minutes and then just peeked over the three minute mark when i was doing things like wim hof method and i studied pranayama for about eight years so i've always had a regular breathwork practice but never really dived into the whole breath hold free diving um, aspect and i'd say up to three minutes is quite easy to train and it's the the next the to get to the four is quite difficult and the way florian describes it is most people have the ability to hold their breath or have enough oxygen in their system to hold their breath for three minutes if you just do a very simple equation whereas the next phase is about co2 tolerance it's like how you can deal with co2 rising in the system and then how you can deal with that discomfort as the diaphragm starts jumping, as the body starts to be overridden by these different triggers that would make us breathe. It's saying, you need to breathe now, you need to breathe now. And you're saying, it's okay, we've got this. This is a normal process. I have enough breath. Mm. Um, I'm actually stuck just under the four minute mark at the minute. Uh, there's a mental barrier there for sure. And I'm just working through that, going back Mm. through the four minute course to to get back up to that sequence but it's been a fascinating journey in many ways um and co2 tolerance definitely has a huge carryovers to athletes definitely a huge carryover i've talked about it on this before Mm. but working up to nasal breathing in my top zone uh top zones has definitely been very beneficial and then going into the day i've also found everything's more relaxed like breathing through my nose all the time as opposed to my mouth um makes a huge difference
1: yeah love that there's something that comes up in meditation uh where you are so uncomfortable and you kind of think i can't do this any longer and like you're thinking that this there's this fault that you're like this moment in time i can't stand this mm. like this this thing that's happening now i can but the truth is you're already standing it or withstanding it you're already putting up with it you're just scared about what's happening yeah. and or what's going to happen in the future and i feel that's probably like i've got very limited experience with, like breath well not breath work but breath holds for, mm-hmm. for like that kind of that purpose of explore exploring it and expanding my capacity but i imagine it's a similar kind of sensation of like i can't handle this any longer but in fact you already are handling it yeah. so there's like a can you come back to the present and stop forecasting about what's going to happen
0: yeah we used to I don't think I've got through a podcast episode yet without talking about handstand once. But um, it's a, we, we'd always do max holds. And the reason for that, it was a bit, at the beginning of a practice uh, from one of my teachers, Miguel, and he'd always say, you're going to hold and hold and hold. And I remember being held onto and my hands were off the floor and I'm still shaking, almost like the hands have given up at this point because someone's just had to literally lift me because mm-hmm. I've got nothing left. Um, but you get to the two-minute mark, two-and-a-half-minute mark, three-minute mark. And you think, "I, how am I going to do any more? And one of, one thing I've noticed is a really effective technique is just counting down from five Florian has one method and the, the five counts has been quite beneficial for me. So one's just going five, four, three, two, one, then repeat that, go back down through five and before, you know, you've hit six rounds of five, you've got an extra 30 seconds in that position. Mm-hmm. And that's been very effective. Um, the other thing is body scanning. I did yoga Nidra or learned yoga Nidra years ago, just. Lying on your back, scanning through the body, trying to relax different muscle groups, checking in with the, the face, the jaw, the neck, where am I holding tension? Can I release it uh, forms a neurologic tension? Can I, can I get rid of this? But using breath and just using my conscious awareness of this space. And one of the things they, or Florian teaches is relax your eyes, your face, your jaw, uh, chest or shoulders and belly. And you just go back through that sequence you go scanning through that sequence every single time and you just start the sequence again there's five different points of checking in and it's amazing how many times you go through that and then your mind goes away from i'm in discomfort to i've adopted a process that i know works and all of a sudden your mind's somewhere else Mm. um i think we tend to overanalyze and i found in regards to breathing Uh, or breath holds or holding positions for long periods of time or high amounts of intensity stuff when I'm on the bike or when I was on the bike. (laughs) Um, It would always come down to, I'm overthinking this. I'm, I'm not present with how I feel now. I'm logged into the future. And like you said, I'm anticipating how I'll feel. And I've always found in regards to mental situations, work situations, the more I think about something, the worse it is and when I actually tackle it, it's always easier. It's always far easier when I actually address the problem as opposed to the thinking before it.
1: Yeah, there's this idea of spotlight consciousness that you just focus on a very small thing at Mm -hmm. a time. You find this when you go on a run. It's like, can I get to that lamppost? I'm going to break this down to smaller steps along the way um i can't remember the dude's name i think it's in um, the book into thin air um which documents two climbs you go to south america Um, they are attempting this kind of first i think it's a first ascent and they're attempting it in an alpine style so alpine style is you go very light you try and get up and down as quickly as you possibly can then get back to the camp so they haven't got much stuff with them they set off a series of horrendous events happen after they hit the summit, um, where one guy breaks his leg. They can't like they have to rappel down. Someone gets stuck in a crevasse. He falls down the crevasse. Like his mate at the top has to cut him off the rope because right. he's dangling in thin air and um, he has to like, cut him off. So that's a, a horrendous decision because he just can't pull him back up. He can't make the yeah. anchor and pull him back up because he just hasn't got it in. So he has to cut him. This guy has like, shattered everything. He's like broken his ribs. He's shifted his pelvis. He's like Both his legs are just destroyed. He's in an awful place, and he's stuck in the bottom of a crass. The way he gets out isn't by saying, I'm going to get from the bottom of this crass however many miles all the way back to camp." It's by saying, and this is making the long story very short, it's by saying, I'm going to get to that corner of this crevasse and I'm going to get to, like, this 10-metre success point. And that would take him literally hours Mm -hmm. because he's crawling himself, like, Terminator-style without any legs, just pulling his hands on with all his gear. Um, And that is, like, that's how we succeeds eventually he doesn't even know he's going to succeed but he just one small goal at a time like i felt that that is so transferable to whether you're in the gym whether you're holding your breath or whether you are running a business or developing a relationship or whatever it is it's like what's the next small objective that i can meet because we get so overwhelmed when you focus on the thing as a whole as opposed to a small miniature objective
0: yeah, I find that there can be an obsession with the peripheral, the thing that's on show and the inability to understand that the processing behind this, like the mental preparation, the visualization like you've talked about, the things like how your spine articulates. So using different methods of learned over the years, like getting someone's spine to unlock in certain areas and maybe find more stability in areas that overwork is something that can be very hard to get people to buy into because they don't see immediate results so it's understanding that if i can maybe do something like put my back on the wall and peel it off one vertebra at a time and then maybe the first time i do it i've got five a block of five moves every time the next time there's four moving that's a huge win but i find that buy-in can be quite hard because it's not a gross thing that you can it's not a huge thing that you can sort of touch and say, this looks amazing. This is Hollywood style movement, but that to me is those details. That to me is that visualization. It's the ability to, to understand that the accumulation of all of these tiny movements creates something bigger.
1: Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a, a very difficult challenge to get people relating to that, but be a really interesting way to, to view it too.
0: mm you um, mentioned something as well the make the correct sacrifice I saw that come up it's an intriguing concept in many ways but could you share a personal story where you had to let go of something that maybe held you back and then maybe an example of someone you've worked with that has gone through a similar thing as well yeah so that was
1: working with this um, this guy comes to mind. as I'm telling my version, I'll see whether it's an appropriate one to share at the same time. <laughs> so, my version of it, I I started Mindset REXT, which was a um, a business coaching athletes, and it was coaching athletes and their mentality. So, it was going fine. I set up this model to um, be coaching a lot of people at once, and we had anywhere between fifty and one hundred and fifty people like on board. This created a great problem, but a terrible problem at the same time, which is that like, just financially, we're always just like getting by. There's always a just getting by mentality um, and kind of actuality. So I was constantly stressed, it was something that I'd created. And I was on a part-time basis, I was employing three people and I was devoting all hours of the day to it. And it was like, it became this kind of trap that I was in. And that I'd created myself but I didn't want to let these three people go I didn't want to see it as a failure and but it just got to a point where it's like this is not working what I'm doing here is just not working and I can't provide the type of care that I want to to our athletes and I can't create the life that I want for myself but also I can't remunerate our coaches the way I want to like it's just it's just all, on all standards it wasn't working but I, it it just got to this point where I just had to kill the business model. So I had to message all our clients, I had to have calls with all our coaches, I had to like basically say how many thousand were coming in a month in terms of income, I've got to kill that off and start again. And that was, what I had to sacrifice there was the stability, the known, the predictable income, but I also had to sacrifice a version of myself that wasn't in true alignment with who I wanted to be and wasn't authentic Um, and also just an incompetent version of myself too like from a business perspective I was just being incompetent I wasn't running it like I should have done but that was really painful and I'm working with someone right now who she's had her business for a while and she's working with multiple different people and she's well literally world-class at what she does but she's been running around fighting so many fires that um she's struggling from an emotional perspective and a financial perspective like not yeah like not to go into too much detail but she's struggling and she's also a single mum, so she's running that gauntlet too the version of her that she has to sacrifice is the one that is um is excited and is infatuated with the drama and the chaos and the also the story of i'm always going to be on the edge she has to sacrifice that version of her it's essentially a death and rebirth cycle so you look through any religion worth its salt you look through any philosophy worth its salt, any way of thinking any guidance and the death and rebirth cycle it's the phoenix rising from the ashes and to go through that you have to Fucking burn yourself, and it's really uncomfortable, and you have to be obliterated by it, and you have to be eaten up by it. But then, if you align yourself with authenticity, it's the whole shedding the layer. This is the snake shedding the skin. It's I'm, I'm guessing I've never been a snake, but I, <laughs> like, I'm guessing it's very uncomfortable to shed your own skin, and that is the process here. It's like you kind of you peel back that layer and you sacrifice the old version of you so the new one can go forward and that's a very vulnerable thing exposed thing to do but yeah that's the kind of process that we're we're going through
0: that that process must take a fair bit of awareness in the initial stages to contact someone like yourself i've had it before where i always say to people well done for reaching out because that shows that you're aware that something needs to change and that's the first aspect of change is understanding that maybe i'm not Adhering to the the values that I have, or obviously we know values can be layered on by culture and all of the other mm-hmm. the, the ego that we have. But I think if you know deep down that something doesn't feel right, that is there for a reason. Uh, if we've got twice as many nerves going up from the gut, and you've got that gut feeling, then there is a reason that is there because sometimes our head can override the senses in the body and say, "No, it's all right. I'll, I'll keep going." And I've had it many times in business, and fortunately. Uh, we've got mutual friends that I call up occasionally and just say, hey, what do you think? And they give me a very true, honest answer. And for that, I value it so much. Because otherwise, it's, you're just getting people that go, yeah, yeah, you're doing the right thing. And then you can go another year and you're unhappy again because you're not true to your values. But I think fundamentally, we all know when something is not correct or it's not right.
1: Yeah. And we just bury it. we just like, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to stick my head in the sand and hopefully it goes away. But it doesn't. And the more I think about negative emotion, the more beneficial thing it is in terms of evolutionary psychology. It's like emotion is there to signify salience and salience is this contains information that you haven't fully extracted yet. That's why emotion is there. It's like there's, there's something of value within this environment that you have yet to learn the lesson of. So how can we like, how can we see that? How can we show you, the human being, that the, that information is in there? Well, I'm going to give you negative or positive emotion. And until you explore that, that gold is always going to be hidden in the mind. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the courage and acceptance to go, this is for me anyway. Like, that's what I'm telling myself the whole time. It's like negative emotion equals information. Can I go into that? Can I explore it and find what is what is within it? That's what I'm looking for. And same with positive emotions as well. So, like, hey, do more of this show. And there's a difference between positive emotion that is meaningful and positive emotion that is a fleeting, ephemeral thing of like, hey, that was quite nice. That was in the mojito on the beach.
0: How would you define, because obviously we know that we have these sensations in life and fundamentally it's the way we interpret a scenario that dictates whether that is a positive or negative, but how would you refer to something as a negative emotion? Would you say it's something that's doing us harm in the long run or short term?
1: What, well, the emotion itself or the thing that it's pointing at?
0: More the. More what it's generating, I suppose, the interpretation of the scenario. Maybe it's linked to a certain scenario and we deem that as negative. Mm-hmm. How would you see that coming out in people you work with?
1: So it's usually a sense, like, the, the problem with what I do is there's so much hippie language associated with it but it's bang on <laughs> and you have to like wade through all this uh, kind of stuff of like more, I can't about that stuff. i'm saying spiritual growth again. <laughs> yeah um so like I, i'm so rooted i want to be able to like describe things factually but and like accurately but like the most accurate way is in the spiritual like, kind of lens um which i'm like yeah partial to as well but the god where was i going with that it's alignment. That's where, that's really what yeah. we're looking at. Is this, the negative emotion is signifying the fact that there's something misaligned. And that could be the fact that you are fulfilling the same perpetual cycle that just on default of picking up my phone, scrolling through Instagram, um, like kind of over-caffeinating myself, like whatever it is, like I'm going through those loops over and over and over again that are not serving me. Or it could be a more global thing. Or a more kind of um, long term horizon of like I'm just living inauthentically. I'm just doing something that's out of alignment with who I really am. And like to go back to that sacrifice story, the thing that was out of alignment with who I who I was is I was I built a business because of what was kind of um, I previously thought would be a good idea, which is sell to the masses and give them very little. Whereas like that doesn't really engage me. What I want to do is give as much as I possibly can to a small number of people and yeah it's nice to say I've worked with over a thousand athletes in my time and it's also not entirely accurate well it's not entirely it's it's not entirely accurate as to what I want to be doing in my life Mm. I want to be making big changes with a small number of people and I find that that works best and also that gives me the freedom and the leverage that I want to go and like, for example, take two and a half weeks off to go ski mountaineering or visit British Columbia this winter, which is gonna happen as well. It's like, for me, I'm in alignment with like kind of the best highest version of myself, if I'm optimizing for freedom. And I think that's the thing that kind of like freedom from a physical standpoint in terms of like geographical, time-based and monetary freedom, but also from a personal perspective in terms of like am I free from any um dysregulation in my nervous system that's causing me to seek uh seek certainty and is perceiving threat so am I free from that am I free from any um stories that I'm living out that hold me back am I free from any character limitations because I'm not displaying enough courage or not displaying enough um Wisdom or patience, or whatever that is. And that's really what I'm like. If I'm optimizing myself to do that and living in accordance with these values, then I'm completely like, I feel good and I feel like I'm doing the right thing. And there's an absence of negative emotion now.
0: Today's sponsor is Ape Nutrition. To find out more about their products, their ethos, and how they support the environment and much more, please check out episode seven with Josh and myself. And to save 10% on all orders, head to ApeNutrition.co.uk using the code human. That's H-U-M-A-N at the checkout to find out more. Back to the podcast. Yeah, spiritual. Uh, spiritual to me has always been that just the unknown. I'm always very supportive over the way anyone feels. They want to interpret these things if it makes them feel happy and, like you said, if it makes them feel free and liberated from whatever it is. If they're in line with their their stuff that to me is perfect. Um, To me, spiritual has been an understanding that there's an unknown. And we sometimes just because we can't measure something, sometimes just because we can't put like an electrode Mm -hmm. on something or have some numbers in front of us doesn't mean it doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, and also (laughs) to go fully down the rabbit hole to the best of your knowledge, because Mm. if we just look, look at what your conscious experience is, well, it's sensation and it's this kind of big projector screen of vision in front of you that has no edges, and it's just your experience. And like, I've been down the full, like, I've turned up at a random house in Wiltshire wearing nothing but white for an ayahuasca ceremony. Like, I've done that. I've, <laughs> like, I've explored, the, like, the, I've read the Tao Te Ching. Like, I've, I've done this kind of stuff. And all that I've come back is from, is a, similar kind of perspective to you there is i don't know like i have no idea like and the arrogance of assuming that we do know is preposterous to me of like this is the way that life is like this is like but that is all being balanced with to the best of my knowledge as, as well there's a real world that i act within and physical like real world successes make my life better and the whole thing of like um, money, pro- money doesn't solve all your problems but it solves your money problems and that's a good, good thing to solve like that's a very useful skill to develop and also the ability to manage relationships and mm. develop connection with people like that's a very useful thing to so I think there's like uh, as with all of these things the cliche of like there's a balance between these things of like am I investigating the spiritual world and at the same time am i not losing the sight of I've got my mortgage to pay mm. both of those things are important
0: Yeah, I've had this conversation with a few people that are maybe 40, 50 years into their coaching career, um, some of which are actually teachers of mine, where they've got to a point where every answer is technically yes, but also no. And the problem is with that is it's not, Mm -hmm. that doesn't get you very far, unfortunately, in the society we live in. So there has to be a balance of, you can't just go around saying, I don't know. So if you have a boss and they say, can you get this done? I don't know it's not going to get you it's not going to get you the pay it's not going to get you the pay rise Mm -hmm. and make life easier on the other side of it so again i do think it's a balance of Mm. structure and again it comes back to that structure and chaos i think the don't know is an understanding that there is um a form of almost like organized chaos and that's fundamentally the universe and the the world we live within has many forms of organized chaos within it yeah
1: yeah and there's a humility in i don't know which i think is lovely but then it also doesn't optimize for your marketing algorithm just to, to send out ads to the community that just says, I don't know, like, you've got this. Yeah. And like, they, if you're having a conversation with your spouse and they're like, are you going to sort your life out and do that thing that you've always been saying you're going to do until you going to look after me? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> There's a uh, big things at play here and I don't even know whether I'm real <laughs> and I don't know what consciousness even is. And like, I think I might be half God and half like, human, and I don't know. So like, yeah, I don't know. Like that doesn't go well when it's like, can you just put your fucking clothes away? mate? <laughs> I'll
0: let you know how that goes. Um, yeah. It, one thing, <laughs> one thing you also said was, uh, what was it? The analogy of driving with one foot on the brake. It happens a lot around where I live. Uh, there's a lot of uh, older people around here and unfortunately they tend to have one foot <laughs> on the brake and one foot on the accelerator. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, but when you're discussing this in regards to mindset, how, how would you uh, explain that to someone who's maybe never heard that term before?
1: Yeah, sure. So there are two things that really hold us back. And there's one thing that drives us forward. I view it, because I like analogy as kind of the rocket ship. Um, lots of people think about how can I fuel this better? So how can I fuel it with better habits, with more discipline, more focus and they're just like they're just slamming more fuel in but they don't realize that the rocket is a chain to the ground and those two chains are my nervous system is dysregulated and what happens when the nervous system is dysregulated is we are retreating from challenge because we're perceiving it as threat that's basically the, the long form and like if if your nervous system is dysregulated you first of all go through a layer of like i'm going to fight or i'm going to flee i'm just trying like i'm going to feel and this shows up for people in terms of like high energy stress Mm -hmm. anxiety get like do something to get out of here and i'm just going to feel like like this tension if that doesn't work and your body still perceives threat what you're going to do is you're going to play dead like the the mouse that gets bought in by your cat that just physiologically plays dead and shuts down that's not a conscious decision it's just retreating from challenge the best way it knows how to and we have the very similar makeup in terms of the way our nervous system works and face nerves and all that kind of stuff. But if you haven't heard it before, that just means you play dead and you retreat from all challenges. And that's when you feel like, I can't be asked to do anything at all. Yeah. I don't want to engage in this challenge because you're perceiving threat. So that's one level. The other level, the other chain that's holding us back is, What's the story you're telling yourself about who you are, the way you live in the world? Is it that you'll always be a failure? Is it that you're um, always second best? Is it that you'll never be happy? Is it that you'll never find meaning? You'll never find love, you're unlovable, like, or that you're just not good enough to deserve what you actually get, um, or to get what you actually deserve? Like, Is that, what's the story you're playing out? Um, there's a myriad of stories and they're all useful, um, useful, but we live out those stories through our thoughts and emotions, that's how we interpret the world and then through our actions and our actions line up to what we actually do. So our first job there is, can we cut this change? Can we give you, can we progress you up those lay, those layers in the nervous system regulation? And can we identify those stories and just kind of like um, create some distance between you and them? Because you never really actually get rid of them. It's more, you just turn the volume down from a hundred to one or two, and then you don't have to listen to them so much.
0: One of my, teachers for a short period of time but also someone i check in with saying about the effects of pranayama effectively the whole point of pranayama was to regulate the nervous system and they're basically seeing changes to the the brain over time but fundamentally that whole practice was about regulating the nervous system and again as i have talked about before they'd one of the things that would be done by someone who's qualified and has been an apprentice for maybe 20 years would be to read the pulse on both sides of the body and test for regulation so they're looking at subtle pulse and not something definitely not something i can do not something i've um spent long enough looking at or trained up to i had the privilege of being passed on that information or that, that knowledge but there's definitely a few people that have spent their life studying this stuff and it fascinates me more and more as the years go on because i realize to be at peace on an internal level where you don't feel like your nervous system is constantly stimulated where you're constantly out of whack out of balance is something that i find yeah i find really interesting but there's a lot of people now as coaches that are utilizing down regulation breathing at the end of their training which i think is a huge thing that should be done for all of us just a very simple mm-hmm. um, i know you've mentioned that physiological sigh is one option like a double breath in and a nice long breath out so anytime the breath is longer than the inhale we're seeing a form of down regulation to the system i don't know many of us that need a lot of stimulation that seems to happen naturally Mm -hmm. what i do think we need of is a lot of down regulation
1: yeah i completely agree um the physiological side thing always makes me laugh because if i if my dog is super stressed and like because what i've done is i've got my face in his face and i'm like oh yeah give me some of that dog action like just get me and he's just trying to sleep he does the stuff the the physiological side just goes <laughs> okay, I'm really like um, I'm, to risk a dodgy term for the dog. I'm really arousing you there, like I'm really putting <laughs> you in a sympathetic state, and you need to you need to down regulate. You're doing that, um but I I also think that sometimes we demonize the sympathetic state and we yeah. demonize that kind of like I want to go out and do shit. Whereas like it's like you evolved it for a reason. Like you, that is a part of your nervous system because it solves a problem. So it's about making sure that is um online when it's optimal rather than just um run just running random
0: yeah I, I think that is the difference is the sympathetic state is important because again it, it does create a form of balance so I know people that are maybe too in the relaxed phase where they haven't stressed themselves accordingly and that comes back to that pressure testing concept doesn't it if I don't think it's the the state of whether you're going up or going down it's more about the fact of it's the direction the volume and intensity you're working at within that perspective so if you overcook Mm -hmm. uh, your training as an example or overcook your work yeah you've had times in the sympathetic but you could spend i don't know let's say eight hours in that sympathetic state and you're working at a low level of sympathetic stimulation whereas if you go to high intensity and try and keep that for eight hours you're going to burn out so i think again all of these things are different shades of aren't they they're different perspectives different levels different grades of intensity
1: yeah well you look at the example you brought up about being in the field just sitting around chatting bored for a lot of time and then it's intense action and then you come back to come back to like that kind of sitting around chatting down regulating and there's something so I had this guy on my podcast, Andy Talbot. He's done everything from bomb disposal to underwater cave exploration to being a stump double in some James Bond films. Like he's done everything. Um, but he talked about the temporary wisdom of adventure. And you go out and you expose yourself to something challenging and to the natural world. And then you come back and then you feel like, you feel like a wiser, more knowledgeable version of yourself where you are more grateful for basic things like Mm -hmm. the warm bed the water on demand the comfort the the connection and you feel like a better version of yourself and i felt like there was elements of that i definitely didn't get from the military but there are elements that i definitely did get from the military Mm -hmm. and one of those things was going outdoors doing really difficult things with a bunch of people who were generally like really good blokes and then coming back to reality Like i kind of the journey of into the unknown, back to the known, or the hero's journey that kind of um, that loops around and eventually bring the knowledge back home. There's something that's like within that, combined with the doing difficult stuff outdoors and challenging yourself, that it just feels right. And I think that we're missing so much of that. Like, I, I know that I'm, when I'm not doing that kind of stuff, it feels like inauthentic. And I think that's what most people a lot of people are missing because they've never had the chance to experience it as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's a good guy, I know him very well. He's a good guy. Um okay. but yeah, definitely does a lot of <laughs> does a lot of that that stuff, which seems very extreme to some people and obviously to him it's become the norm. Mm-hmm. But I think to put it in perspective for someone that maybe can't maybe relate to these more extreme things like jumping out a plane and doing all the other bits and going into a cave in pitch blackness, but is even just going outside, like you, you won't appreciate, appreciate a warm home as much as you do until you've been outside in the cold. Maybe you've gone out in a t shirt and you're outside in the cold for two hours, then you appreciate the warmth, but if you stay in the warmth all the time, you never appreciate how good that really is. And that's something I used to love about um spending time outdoors and still do and i still think it's essential the more time i spend indoors the more disconnected i become and the more time outdoors i spend Mm. the more grounded the more um i'd say the more myself i feel Uh, whatever that is whatever that truly is but more human i feel let's put it that way
1: yeah and this is like i think this is almost a cultural thing as well when (laughs) this is the same you know you said you don't go through a whole podcast episode without mentioning handstands. It's the same for me. When I lived in Canada, like, <laughs> what I did, uh, what, I, what I noticed is there's a culture around getting outdoors and doing outdoor things. And especially as a lifelong pursuit, people of my grandparents' generation, there seems to be this thing in the UK of you hit retirement age and then you sit down in the front of the sofa put some soaps or tennis on and then wait to die and then like some people are very different obviously but the, the first hike that harris and i went for when we got out there we were blown away when these like 70 year olds jogged past us I'm like how did like that's so a completely different culture so like, they're going outdoors and they're doing things and like there's and also there's a there's different cultural element of when you ask someone in bc especially outside of vancouver but when you ask someone in bc like what do you do they say oh i'm a skier or I'm a client i'm a mountaineer i kiteboard i like i like i knit like whatever they say their pastime as opposed to i'm a lawyer i'm a banker i'm uh, i own a business like it's a really different way that they perceive themselves and i think like when i was talking about stories they it, that's the exact representation of the stories that we live out. It's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a mountaineer, but I run a business so I can go and do that. That's a very different thing to I run a business and I go mountaineering when I can.
0: You know, what? I never thought of that. Never thought of that because that's very much like some people are driven, the job is the outcome driven scenario or the outcome driven endpoint. It's like, mm-hmm. I am this, I have trained for this. And yeah, occasionally I do a cycle on the weekend or whatever it might be. But yeah, when, the way you phrase that, as in, like, I do a job to support my hobbies. And I'm very grateful to be able to say that I spent a lot of years doing it that, that way around, where I was like, right, I do my job because I love doing this stuff at the weekend. How about I make the thing that I do at the weekend my job? Because then you're even more in harmony with what you want to do. And that, for me, I think, has been so important over the years mentally, especially packing some of the things that experience in the military and fire service where forms of trauma were quite hard to comprehend, but having the ability to say, I'm gonna start unpacking this, but having a passion that allows me the space and uh, creativity to do so and understand who I truly am. And if I'm in line with what I'm doing or not, um, I think that's really important to ongoing development because otherwise you're unhappy because you might only get to do the thing you love Mm. two hours a week, three hours a week, and you're working a job for 40 to 60 hours that you don't really enjoy. That doesn't sound too fun to me. Yeah, and I've,
1: I've, I get that I'm also very privileged to have had the um, the inputs and the influences that created the kind of actions that have led me to this place. Like not everyone gets that. Like I'm, I'm really like, um, um, without sounding completely kind of um, wishy-washy with this, I'm very lucky to have had those kind of um, inputs. Not everyone gets that. But also I think if someone's, got the free time to sit down where we are like an hour and 15 of a podcast or they've got the kind of bandwidth to do that you also have the bandwidth to have more agency over your life and that might not look like a complete reversal of your life it may look like an incremental shift of one percent but that one percent will be fucking huge for how you end up looking back at your life. I spoke a second ago about like optimizing my life for freedom and also optimizing my life for when I have that moment where I'm lying on my deathbed, hopefully many, many years from now, I can look back and went like, that was a like, I did the things that I wanted to do and I squeezed the lemon dry. I, I got all the juice from that. And it's like, it's the the greatest regret that people have in their um on the deathbeds is I didn't do the thing that was authentic to me. That's the greatest Mm. regret. And like, we have this one shot at it. And like, there's been very, there's been two or three very significant things in my life that have like reinforced that to me. It's like, you don't know when this is gonna end. You get one shot at this. Mm. And you might as well do the thing that makes your heart sing. And they you should go, fuck yeah, like that was worthwhile. And that's the meaningful part of
0: it. I think exposure to those things, like we talk, we almost started this podcast episode with um, exposure to the things that challenge you, that adversity, I think gets you to that point quicker. If you ignore that, then you might get to the last, whatever that is, whenever that is, and go, damn it, I didn't do that. I think mm-hmm. it's important to challenge yourself to the point where you think, whoa, um, Maybe, maybe it involves a near-death experience. Maybe it's the loss of someone you love very much, or maybe um, it's a bad injury, or loss of a job, or changing scenario. But I think the more you, all of that comes down to a point of adversity, a point of challenge. That if the see, well, if you see the signs, you can make a big shift in your life. If you ignore the signs, things are going to re- continue to repeat themselves, like you said, until that lesson is learned.
1: And we seem to live our lives in this way that like, oh, there's a wealth of tomorrows. Well, there's not. Like I've got this, my life in weeks calendar. I've seen
0: that. I love it. I really like it.
1: Yeah. It's all the, like there's a little checkbox for how many weeks I've got expected in my life. And there's like a worryingly little amount. And like, I can see like I'm looking at it now and a a good third of it is gone and they're all colored in and those weeks have disappeared. And that's a really useful reminder because we live it like we've got 10 million or an endless amount of tomorrows but you've only got a set amount and we like that death and rebirth cycle we go through that every day you're never getting today back um, mm-hmm. and it's cliche and it's oversaid and it's like you don't want, you definitely don't want to live today well you definitely don't want to live today like it's your your last day ever because you just never get anything done um but there's a there's a balance in a way of like, okay, I'm going to live this in a way that's authentic
0: and meaningful to me. Yeah. Right. Let's do a quick fire around What's the one book that's profoundly impacted your life? And if there's two or three that you recommend, and you've probably recommended a few over the years, what would you recommend? And maybe it relates to certain scenarios as well. So if you feel like one is more, one is more uh, in tune with maybe a business person that is suffering with mental health or someone in a physical performance a uh, sport cool. that needs that little bit extra. Mm-hmm. Which ones?
1: So, the book that actually changed my life was Bounce by Matthew Sayed. And it's a fantastic book, but I'm not going to say it's the most life changing book unless you've never heard of the 10,000 hour rule, which actually genuinely changed my life. 10,000 hour rule basically says that if you put 10,000 hours of intentional purpose and practice into one pursuit, you're going to become world classed. And I'd never, that blew my mind and that changed the direction of my life because I thought I was just stuck as who I was. At, uh, who I was one book that i keep on coming back to is i think it's called walk or silent i think it's called silence by erling kag let me just google it at the same time um because erling kag is um yeah there we go um is Silence by erling kag and um, he's he was the first person to reach the three poles of earth so everest north and south solo completely unassisted and um, when he went to the south pole he flew in. He flew in, got dropped off by the plane and left the batteries to all his communication devices within the plane. He was like, I'm not communicating with anyone. I'm going to, walk." it was like 87 days of walking by himself through horrendous terrain um, with zero help and zero way of communicating. And he's like, he talks about that silence and how refreshing it he is. is. He's also got a book called Walk, which is a last well, note to walking. Essentially, it's like taking that Slurp, rage. Sorry to rub it in about the ankle. It? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just about basically, to say. It's, basic, it's basically how good that is, yeah. Yeah, sorry, mate. That's that's really um un, unkind of me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at looking at books right now. Um, there's so many, and like a, a book has a sorry to take your quick question and make it um, very long. Um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is. there's one they come back to time time again as a letters from a stoic but um which is a collection of seneca's letters mostly to his brother um very very useful books and i'm I'm always going to forget the one that comes back time time again but um yeah those those come but like i've read this nietzsche quote which is the most arrogant thing i've said in a while i read this nietzsche quote where he's talking about like you can't learn something that you already don't know from a book (laughs) you're just like revealing the knowledge which is within you already so you have to go out and experience life and experience difficulty and then maybe the book just solidifies it maybe the book just like solidifies it
0: yeah but but i think that applies with many things in life this is why i, I was told in the martial arts context that there is no thing as a young master so you need you, there is an aspect of you can learn skills you can learn techniques over time you can come, become highly efficient at these things but mm there is an aspect of time that you cannot escape so it doesn't matter how good whether it's a something's marketing wise or anything like there is a point where if you want to be truly great at something that you're going to have to have an understanding that you it's going to take time and there is that way but you can attain great things in a short period of time i think that's the the misunderstanding with this concept it's the continual thing done every day and an understanding of, Oh, okay. Now I've attained this knowledge. I can interpret that information in a very different way than I did before.
1: Yeah. It's the old, um, I don't fear a man. who's practiced a thousand kicks and a thousand punches and mm-hmm. kicks. I, I, I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times or one punch 10,000.
0: Mm-hmm. times. So would that be a quote that you would live by or is there any, something else that you feel has been very important, um, that maybe has shaped your life or maybe continues to shape your life today god there's there's so many um you know it's it's so
1: funny the, the one that comes back time, time and whenever i'm ski touring or mountaineering with with one specific friend he rips me relentlessly because i'm always saying a stitch in time saves nine and it's just that idea of like you do the thing that is very um you're very resistant to and that you don't want to do, but you know it's the right thing to do. So it's like, do you double dry bag all your kit? Like it's a bit pain in the ass. Like it adds a bit of weight, it adds a bit of bulk. But like it literally is never not a good idea. Mm-hmm. It's always benefit. And it's like those. Or do we, um like, you're on avalanche training. Do we take the time to dig a pit? because we're a bit unsure or do we just risk it is a hundred percent a good idea to spend 10 15 minutes digging a pit to assess the the train like a hundred percent like sometimes it's not but like it's like or a hundred percent of the time if there's doubt it's yeah. a good idea it's like there's always that thing in your head you know you should be doing but you, like you don't get out the stitching time saves it's fine it's something i constantly tell myself because i'm i'm basically lazy and i don't do those things
0: and i have to force myself to do it that's a really important one as well it's like uh Make sure you have the insurance before you decide to fall off a bike. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's lessons here, man. There's lessons to all this stuff. Um, a hobby or activity that keeps you grounded? Yeah. Being in the mountains, doing anything in the mountains, like 100%. The biggest myth about high performance or attaining high performance?
1: Interesting. Um, that it is something that's predetermined, like, and it yes, actually, you know, what it is, it's either that people think it's predetermined or there's nothing you can do about it, or that is a hundred percent within your control, the, it's 50, 50, like, like you're never going to like, if you're genetically not made up for it, it's going to be very difficult, but also it's not impossible.
0: Like there's, and whatever that means to you, it's, it's entirely a nature and nurture thing. So what's the one piece of advice you give to someone embarking on looking for that? Whatever, whatever you feel high performance means to to you, Tom, and to the people you work with, yeah. What's the one piece of advice you'd give someone that's embarking on that journey and wants to take things up a couple of levels?
1: It might be just shaped by a conversation, but it seems to be something in the mind of authenticity. Mm. Right? It doesn't matter if it's someone else's goal; it's not going to. You're not going to work hard for someone else's version of success. Yeah, yeah. it requires a lot of work. Like you got to do it, like in way in on your
0: terms that appeals to you so well we've got one more question to finish on but there's um one thing before which i think is really important tom because it's like the advice and the conversation we've had has been been great and i think it'd be amazing for people to find out more about what you do as a coach um within the mindset uh, perspective or whether they want to attain more high performance skills or physical activities so where can we find out more about you tom
1: yeah um my podcast, the Freedom Project, um, very similar to this, but just a bit different because it's me on the
0: outside of <laughs> I speak less,
1: um, so um, or I try to anyway. So um, yeah, the Freedom Project podcast, um, and then Instagram, which is Tom Foxley f-o-x-n-e-y and then my website, TomFoxley.me. Um,
0: that's dot me. Awesome. Man. Okay, the final question, which I ask every single person that comes on this podcast. I'm keen to leave the listeners with some simple to follow routines that they can adopt and apply on a daily basis. What principles would be at the top of your list to form the foundations of human health or in other words a human first approach?
1: So you've already mentioned it non-sleep deep rest or yoga nidra. I feel like that is the one tool that I give almost everyone at some point during working with me. Um, Combined with sleep but sleep isn't really like i think most people know the sleep thing that like 10 15 minutes of yoga nidra on sleep sleep rest is foundational getting out a journal um and investigating yourself every single day is key um and then the idea of having values that you aspire to live by and the best way to find those isn't to look at what you're already doing and ask yourself it's what do you admire in other people so, our mutual friends um that we we talked about earlier i'm guessing it's the same one um I always look at him as a kind of like oh there's there's something in there that I admire, but there's also people um that I look out and see and go like there's something within them that I admire um yeah. and it's like that's the value that i'm trying to live that's the thing that goes there's a connection in that so it's like a thorough investigation of yourself and then a summary of how well you're living up to those values each day combined with a um combined with that kind of ongoing non-sleep deep rest or yoga neutral
0: practice. That's awesome, man. There's a lot to unpack there for people as well, but massively appreciate your time. Um, yeah, I think we went, talked about some peripheral stuff, but we went deep, which is good. <laughs> and uh, good. <laughs> I think I think it's good for people to see that balance. I think it's great for people to understand that as a performance coach, it's not all about front-end performance more acceleration it's an understanding that like you said you need to take your foot off the brake you need to understand that um mm. we need to unpack things we need to understand that we need to be in line with who we are um on what we're looking to achieve and seeing that time out is not time wasted i think that's another very important concept we've talked about mm. today yeah really nice awesome man thanks for your time cheers tom look forward to talking to you soon man thank take you care. so much As always, thank you for joining myself and Tom on this episode. To find out more about his work and how to get in touch with him online, please follow the links in the show notes. A small request from me, please share episodes like this to help me to continue to pass on information from experts around the world with you. Thank you for listening. See you on the next episode.